I'm excited tonight to um, start our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, there should be something on the screen coming up at some point. Wonderful, great. Um, uh, this is Jesus' blueprint for life. Uh, and I love that we're, we were focusing on being loved, being welcomed by God, because that's where it begins. Then in the Sermon on the Mount, it shows us what we're welcomed to a relationship with Jesus uh, and a way of life which is called following Jesus. Um, so actually for the rest uh, of this academic year we're going to spend time in the Sermon on the Mount uh, and that's where we're going to stick. There's a few exceptions around Christmas, maybe Easter and one or two others, but generally we're going to go through it, we're going to go through it in detail. Um, uh, about um, We want to fix our eyes on Jesus um, together and what it means to live life with him. So does that sound good? Excellent, because we're doing it anyway, so uh, I'm really glad you're on board. So uh, I believe uh, we here, those around us, those we invite to our communities, those we may invite to come along uh, to the evening gathering, um, will benefit from looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Here's a few ideas why. Because religion is unpopular, but Jesus is intriguing. Religion is unpopular, but Jesus is intriguing, the person of Jesus. We want to fix our eyes on the person of Jesus and what he says, then work out how we live as a response. Um, this is Jesus' blueprint on how to do life. It covers the ground of many questions on maybe our lips, maybe on the lips of people around us, around sex, mental health, social media indirectly, etc. It does, it does so much around contemporary issues. It's simultaneously invitational, come and see a different way of living, but also massively challenging and authentic. We're not going to duck the issues. Jesus goes right to the heart. If you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, it's like, oh my goodness, there's another thing that's just hit me uh, in the chest. Um, but I believe that's a massively attractive thing um, for each of us to see that authenticity of Jesus, but also for those around us. They can sniff it a mile off if we don't mean what we say, uh, people outside of church. So we just want to be authentic about Jesus and we want to talk about him. Uh, and it, it, it talks about many of the things, the basics of being a follower of Jesus. It talks about prayer, it talks about scripture, giving financially, uh, it talks about forgiveness, it talks about trusting God, it talks about even how to treat one another with honour, uh, amongst other things. And so I'm quite excited about it. It's a really practical um, really practical series for us. So tonight we're at the beginning, it's known as the Beatitudes, uh, and I want us to realise uh, the blessings that we stand in from the beginning, um, the blessings that we stand in. Before any of the instruction on how to live comes a message of hope in the present now, but also in the future, and I'll unpack that a little bit in a minute. So Rachel, I don't know where you are, there you are, you can read the scripture, this is Rachel. There we go, all right. So today we are going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, if you want to grab a Bible. Okay. <laughs> now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, there are two sets of people here present uh, when Jesus did start this teaching, start this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there were the disciples who were learners of Jesus. That's literally what it means. They were learners of Jesus who committed to following him. Uh, that was the first set of people. Then there were the crowds, the people who were curious about Jesus. Uh, and you'll probably, out of virtue of being here this evening, find yourself in one of those two camps. Either you've committed yourself to following Jesus and are working out what that means, or you're curious about the person of Jesus and what the heck is going on in the lives of those who've invited you or as we gather here this evening. So welcome. We're going to look at what Jesus says together. It's going for everyone here. So he's on a mountainside. It tells us, and he opens his mouth. That's literally how it is in the original language, and he begins to speak. And as he speaks, this is what comes out. I doubt he had any notes at the time. I bet he just went for it. So he's primarily concerned with teaching on the kind of living that should govern the people of God and those that follow Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. This this Sermon on the Mount begins with what are called uh, these Beatitudes, as I said, uh, and the blessings promised in these first 12 uh, verses. Um, And when people give a talk, when, um, when a preacher gives a talk, they often have a text, they have a verse in the Bible that they work from, and then they go on to explain it. And Jesus' text, if you like, for this entire sermon, what we're looking at this year, is these Beatitudes. It's a funny word, isn't it? These Beatitudes. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, in varying degrees, is the application of these blessings. And that's why it's so important from the start to understand that we have these blessings. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this evening. Um, As we go through the journey of life, we start with blessing. And then he goes on to what it means to live this way. So there are the first two verses out already. Uh, He's on a mountainside. He has the disciples, the probable others of the crowd as well. And actually, if you look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 28 and 29, it says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed, amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So the crowds were there. They were amazed at his teaching, the two sets of people. So then we get on to the next verses. This is why I need to have it open. Bear with me. 3 to 10. This is an invitation to become blessed, to be blessed. Now the word blessed comes from the word happy. It's almost saying, happy are you when you're poor in spirit, which is a bit weird. Blessed also means approval, that you've been approved by God. That's another meaning for what 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 the blessed means in this passage. It also means, and alludes to something else, the word that means lucky. It's almost as though the people around the disciples at this time were saying, you're so lucky in the way that you live. I don't know about you, but I've often found lucky as as off-limits as a Christian. Um, We don't believe in coincidences. It's not about luck. But a person called blessed would be called lucky 
in the world at the time. It would almost be seen as, oh, they're so lucky. What is it about them? And it's probably true today too, isn't it? Um, I often use the word blessed, but I think those around me probably use the word lucky a little bit more, or fortunate, maybe. But blessed, blessed, describes the person who God approves, whom he has sovereignly, in all his power, given grace to, rather than lucky, which points to some other source of faith, fate that we call luck. We're blessed because we have God who's sovereignly given us grace. That's, that's the difference. And we find our hope, our blessedness in Jesus. It's not about luck at all. Though it may look like that, we then get the opportunity to say, well, what you see in my life is because I'm blessed by Jesus. That's the first thing we get to say. But notice, this is where we really need to have a look at the word together. Notice the promise in the first beatitude in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can we read that together? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then skip to verse 10, and we'll read that one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Both of them have the identical promise, don't they? You can see that it it both says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the other six beatitudes sandwiched in the middle are different. Verse 4, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 6, for they will be satisfied. Verse 7, for they will receive mercy. Verse 8, for they will see God. Verse 9, for they will be called children of God. Notice that all of these promises seem to be talking about the future. Can you see that in the language? They will be comforted, they will inherit the earth, they will be satisfied and so on. But the promise of the first and the last beatitude in verses 3 and 10 seems to relate to the present. The disciples are assured that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, this is talking about what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven brings. God's kingdom. Comfort, earth ownership, satisfied righteousness. We'll unpack it another time. Mercy, being before the very face of Jesus. And that awesome title, a child of God, a son of God. You don't have to pick and choose amongst these promises. They all belong to the kingdom. These are the blessings of the kingdom. These are the blessings of what it means to follow Jesus. They will have these things. It doesn't say they have these things. So how do we how do we deal with that in a life of quick fixes where we run away from any discomfort? How do we deal with what the scripture's saying here? Well, we have to view it in the context of the whole Bible and also in the context of what God is saying about his kingdom, which is very exciting and I'm quite excited to talk about it. So um, the term kingdom uh, of heaven is a temptation for us to consider this promise of the kingdom of heaven as solely as something after death. Um, that, that we'll get it at some point when we die, we'll go to the kingdom and that's that. Uh, that it's, there's a reward in heaven for these people, and that's solely what it is. But this is, in many ways, a misunderstanding of what the kingdom of heaven is talking about. Uh, and there's a guy called Tom Wright, good thinker on this, good, someone else knows who Tom Wright is. Um, he, go, he, he describes it like this, heaven is God's space, 
where full reality exists, close by our ordinary earthly reality and interlocking with it. One day heaven and earth will be joined together forever and the true state of affairs at present out of sight will be unveiled. Let that settle for a moment. And we pray this future reality into the present when we pray the Lord's Prayer, don't we? It's always the thing I go back to when talking about this. Of, two, of the two coming together, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It's the two coming together. The life of heaven is to become the life of the world. So just for a moment where you are, imagine the world around you, not St. Barnabas, although you can imagine St. Barnabas, the world around you on Monday morning. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, what does it look like if his kingdom comes there? Just take a moment and think about that. Why don't a few people just speak out some of the things that we see? What does it bring? Peace. Peace. Unity. Unity. Safety. 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 Justice. Justice. Yeah. Does anyone else have justice when they thought of it? Yeah. Sorry? Healing. Yeah. Healing in every sense, right? Anything else? Freedom. Freedom. Great. That's a good one. Joy. Feel like we're getting on a roll. Let's keep going. Security and affirmation. Security and affirmation. Goodness. Wonderful. Great. There's probably more. Well, there is definitely more. Those who follow Jesus are to begin to live this rule and reign of God now. That's what we're called to do. The kingdom of heaven is present, but the full blessings, this scripture seems to be saying, we have to wait for in the future. They will inherit the earth. We experience a foretaste now, but the full experience is in the future. Take, for example, verse 4. Have a look at your Bible. What does it say? I've not written it down on here. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Revelation 21 says this, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. One day God's going to wipe every tear away. There'll be no more mourning. He will do it and it is a firm and solid hope for us. The kingdom will come. Look at verses 11 to 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. In other words, even though the final reward of comfort is kept for us in heaven, in its final sense, we can now rejoice, we can now have joy in the midst of suffering. And is not this joy, this hope, a foretaste of that comfort to come? We have a solid, firm and solid hope of what is to come and the presence of Jesus with us in the present. 
So it promises they shall receive mercy. But then in another parable we see called the unforgiving servant, Matthew 18, if you're following me, uh, the king says to the wicked servant, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In other words, Jesus teaches that we, do, we don't merely wait for mercy in an age to come when the kingdom comes, but it has come in Jesus. The kingdom has come in Jesus. We taste it here and now in receiving forgiveness of sins and all the blessings we have of knowing God. Verse 9, it promises they will be called sons of God. And by son, they mean in the biblical sense, it's not a gender thing. Uh, the rights of sons meant inheritance. That's what it's talking about. So this is male, female. It's sonship. It's not talking about gender. But in Romans 8.23, it says, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So the full benefits of being sons of God, children of God, if you prefer the language, the future is in the future when the kingdom comes in its fullness. But then we look at Matthew 5, 16, which we're looking at next week, and it says this, very apt to what Danny just shared, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, God is already our Father, We're already sons. We have a foretaste of that sonship now, but we also know in the future we're going to have the fullness of what that means. Not in our brokenness, but in our wholeness. Do you see what I'm talking about, roughly? A few of you, great. Well, we'll carry on a little bit longer then. But the point of these three examples is that the kingdom of heaven is both present now and in the future. We have foretaste of the reign of God now, but we'll experience vastly more in the future. And this is why verses 3 and 10 assure us that theirs is the kingdom of heaven, but verses 4 to 9 promise that the kingdom blessings are still in the future. It is both. The kingdom has come and the kingdom will come one day. Very confusing, isn't it? So the Beatitudes are announcements that people like this, people like you, are very blessed in this moment. Very fortunate, the language talks of. It's heard by the disciples as something to be celebrated when we experience these things as we see God at work in our midst. There are people who have been awakened by the present power of the age to come. So having put all that in context, the Beatitudes also contain an implicit invitation to become this kind of person. And their words of invitation to the crowds as well, the people who come to worship out of tradition, out of curiosity or scepticism, an invitation to come to Jesus and learn to live the way of heaven. And for some, their words of transformation by the power and the mercy of God who is present. So Jesus here is showing us blueprints for how to live in the kingdom. He's showing us what the kingdom looks like. These blessings are signposts to both the future and the present. And I don't know about you, but, but I definitely often come to Jesus wanting my needs met, wanting to be satisfied. Is that a general thing that you do too? Nothing wrong with it. 
But we repeatedly, what we repeatedly see Jesus do is he does meet our needs, but he shatters any preconceptions that we may have about him or how we get to live as people that follow him. At the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wants to shatter our unmet expectations of life. Because it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes. It's not all rosy. We have great times and then we have times that really feel like we're in almost darkness and in a valley. There's the ebbs and flows of life that we have at different times. At the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wants to shatter our unmet expectations of life. He wants us to die to them so that he can give us new ones. The Sermon on the Mount is pretty to the heart, guys. So this is, this is what Jesus is saying. Lives that are so fixed on this current world, quick fixes comfort, are not necessarily compatible with the one to come. We need more than human remedies. And Jesus brings this heavenly truth to our mix match of understanding about what life is about. So we go straight for the heart, even at the beginning but they all sat down thinking they were going to have a nice chat, maybe a bite to eat, and then he just goes, bang. Let me just shatter your unmet expectations of life. See, being in the kingdom of heaven, being poor in spirit is a win. Because it points to the sufficiency of God, that God is all sufficient, that he is all that I need. In the kingdom, when you're at the end of your rope, when you're running out of options, you're blessed. Sounds upside down, doesn't it? When you're in the pit of mourning, there's nothing wrong to mourn the loss of a loved one or mourn in any respect. But when you're in the pit of mourning, in the kingdom you are comforted. Meekness, humility may not always get us to the top of the office. It may not always put us in the prime position in a social group, whatever it may be. But in the kingdom of heaven, we inherit the whole earth by being like that because we are sons of God and therefore heirs of the king of kings what's his is ours when you're hungry for God in the kingdom you're filled somehow working up an appetite in the kingdom means that you're actually filled and you can read this and read it again and it probably still won't make entire sense to you in many ways, these blessings at this present time remain somewhat of a mystery to us because as well as bringing truth to the present, they point to a future that we can only see in part but that we know is coming and we get glimpses of and that is when Jesus returns and brings the kingdom in its fullness. And we have glimpses of it but how glorious it will be. According to Jesus, true happiness does not come from the things that society suggests. It doesn't come from celebrity, beauty, wealth, achievement, possessions. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what you have or even what you do. It's about being blessed. <laughs> it's about being blessed by Jesus first. Uh, and one version of the Bible translates this blessed as happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous. That is, with life, joy, and satisfaction, regardless of outward conditions. That's what blessed means. 
See, these words reorientate us away from current conditions towards what is coming very soon. What seems upside down in this passage, Jesus is actually saying, this is how it's meant to be. Have you heard the phrase, it's an upside down kingdom before? But actually what Jesus is saying, it may seem upside down to us, but it's the way things are meant to be. And we get to start the adventure now. We get to live like the kingdom is near until the kingdom is here in its fullness. To live in God's favour in all circumstances. So here's a report um, from a letter sent by a Roman governor at the time uh, when the Romans were getting very worried about the early church expanding their influence in society. Um, they, were, they were worried that they would grow so much that the Roman soldier himself would actually, that the Roman governor would actually have to use force against them. They were gaining that much influence at the time. And this is what he says. There were many of every age, of every rank, and of both sexes, who were now and hereafter likely to be called to account and to be in danger. For this superstition is spread like a contagion, not only into cities and towns, but into country villages also. And I love that word contagion, that contagious thing that's going on. Imagine the kingdom of God and all that it stands for is contagious. Living like the kingdom is near is contagious to a world that doesn't know the kingdom exists. They were taking ground for the kingdom simply by how they lived as blessed people. Because their conditions, their persecution at the time was not necessarily outwardly blessed. But they knew what their hope was. The hope of the kingdom. Dr Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher, teacher and a revivalist, uh, wrote this about the Sermon on the Mount. Here is the life to which we are called. I maintain that if every Christian in the church today were living the Sermon on the Mount, the great revival for which we're all praying and longing would already have started. Amazing and astounding things would happen. The world would be shocked and men and women would be attracted to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Does that challenge you? It challenged me when I read it this week. I was like, oh dear. But you know what? We get to do it not on our own, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And over this year, we're going to look at what it means to live this blessed life that seems a little bit upside down to the world around us, but is ultimately the way to life. And it's Jesus' words to us, Jesus' blueprint for life in the kingdom. So it's going to be a fun year. It's also going to be a challenging year. It's going to be an utterly confusing year at the same time. Are you up for it? Yes. Good. Great. So... Here's the question. Who are you inviting to taste and see Jesus in this time? And by that, inviting to your community, inviting to this gathering, inviting even to Alpha that starts in January. I want us to be thinking from the get-go, who are we inviting into this? If this is meant to be contagious, well, let's start being signposts for that kingdom that we're living for and inviting. That's the first question I'd like to do. And the second question is, is this, which probably comes before the first. Are you up for living with what Jesus says, in what Jesus says? 
because this year is going to be a very challenging one as he challenges probably most parts of our lives through the Sermon on the Mount. Are you up for living the way Jesus says in his word? It's time to fix our eyes on the race. It says this in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the mark the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith.